0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook, arch reporter for the Chronicle Herald here in Halifax. I'm Karsten Knox, a blogger at Flaw on the Iris at halifaxbloggers.ca and the movie guru at CTV Morning Live. This is
1: a movie podcast where we look at some current films and then examine some older titles that might be tangentially
0: related, and hopefully you'll learn something about some films you might not have seen before. Let the right one in. Only lovers left alive. A girl walks home alone at night. These are the independent features that are reclaiming vampires from that sickness that was the Twilight series. We're talking about it this time on Lends Me Your Ears.
1: Well, one thing that the movies will never get tired of is vampires. It seems like if, if, if you want a go-to bad guy that you can lay your crazy analogy on and, uh, and, and have people connect with it right away. It's uh, that, that familiar old bloodsucker from ancient
0: times, uh, the vampire. It's true. It's true. And, and you know, of course, it, it speaks to some pretty primal things in a sex and death which we can't get enough of, which doesn't... That's the thing about the Twilight series. It always confounded me. There's no sex in it. (laughs) How can there be vampires without any sex? I know. They're chased
1: vampires, and then the death part of it's played down, too. It's just... It's mainly about glitter and
0: uh and just and looking so good <laughs> yeah pretty pretty people yeah so we, we will steer clear we could we could call this a podcast about uh maybe maybe more adult vampires or or well the connotation of adult is a little problematic how about uh, alternative vampires just just cool vampires, better vampires. Yeah, primal vampires. Primal, there we go. So, yeah, so you'd mentioned, you know, it's been around for a while. We we considered Nosferatu from 1922, F.W. Murnau, uh, Vampire from 32, Carl Theodore Dreyer, uh, Dracula, Bill Lugosi's, uh, you know, famous... Uh, l- Vampire brought from from his coffin and uh, <laughs> and wandering around uh, scaring the pants off people.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it it does go back quite a ways, almost as as old as the movies itself. And uh, it, you know, it, it, it's something that surfaced in literature uh, in the late Victorian period. Uh, it seemed to speak to those repressed urges of the populace. And uh, in fact, uh, the first vampire novel uh, of note. Uh, was uh, a book called Carmilla by an Irish writer named F.W. Uh, 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 sorry, uh, Sheridan Le Fanu uh, was the author, and he wrote this kind of gothic horror tale about a, a young woman who comes under the spell of a of an, an older, um, I guess, sort of protector or guardian who also turns out to be kind of a lesbian vampire. And then for for the eighteen seventies, that was pretty. Uh, pretty rich stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, that, that book has been remade over and over over again over the years. Uh, never particularly well, necessarily, but uh, i I've actually, I think that's one that could be revisited and given a proper... Uh, a proper uh, treatment, but uh, most famously made as the uh, the Vampire Lovers by the Hammer Studios, which we'll get into uh, later in the show. But uh, you know, right off the bat, they're pretty popular. Uh, there's also a penny dreadful called Varney the Vampire from uh, from the 1800s that uh, was kind of a trashy read, which I don't think anybody's ever tried to adapt. Uh, it, it was kind of trashy, not terribly well written, and kind of looked down upon, especially once Bram Stoker came along and wrote. Uh, kind of the definitive vampire novel with Dracula, and that that kind of set the tone for uh, a literary and uh, and eventually cinematic uh, genre that we're still talking about today. And obviously, there are some new uh, incarnations of of this particular uh, type of creature and type of movie hero, villain, anti-hero, however you want to look at it. Uh, you know, we, we we still seem to be fascinated by uh, by these creatures of the night.
0: There's no end to to. I mean, last last year, Universal was universal I uh, did the uh, that they're trying to sort of uh connect all their monsters and uh, and they did Dracula Untold which was just awful yes and, <laughs> uh, and I hope that whatever they do next if they revisit this character they do a better job but uh, but yeah there are a lot of other more interesting and sort of out of the way Dracula vampire stories I'll just say vampire stories uh, that uh, from from all over the world uh, including and these are these are films that are now available on DVD and online uh, including um uh well there there's one from uh from from I- Iran called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and uh, it's it's odd because it's actually an American film with an Iranian cast uh this is something that uh that I wanted to mention because I I managed to catch it and uh it's directed by Anna Lily A- Amirpour and uh this is This is an Iranian cast, but it's all shot outside of Los Angeles, mostly at night in black and white. So if you imagine Jim Jarmusch, who has also made a terrific uh, vampire movie recently with Only Lovers Left Alive, but if you imagine what he was like back in the 80s with movies like Mystery Train and Down by Law, and uh, if you imagine that, and then you imagine a Persian speaking cast, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, that's pretty much what you'll get with A Girl Walks Home Alone at night. I caught it uh, at the, the tiff Lightbox in january and it's a really moody film it's not plot driven it's more character and mood driven and uh it's really special and it's you can you can find it online now
1: yeah i saw a trailer for this and uh if, if you're into uh watching it or purchasing on disc uh, kino lorber i put this out on dvd and blu-ray and uh it's I, I think i may just pick up a copy from them they've got a bunch of stuff i want on sale at the moment a bunch of their sort of They've got a bunch of Hollywood studio titles on sale, and I think I may just throw that into the into the pile. But uh, you know, right from the look of the everything, right from the poster, the look of this great poster, this great graphic design, made me want to watch this film. And I, I really, I don't know much about the story or what happens. It's
0: very uh, elliptical, and <laughs> cryptic in the in the trailer. So yeah, it's, a, um, it's such a young woman who uh, she uh, skateboards. And she happens to be a vampire and she haunts the lives of a number of characters in this bad city, this bad town at night, uh, but not haunts them necessarily to hunt and kill them, but just because I think she's lonely and she wants to spend time with them. So she makes friends and uh, things happen. But, you know, mostly, like I said, it's not plot driven. It's more about the the sense of dread and and uh, sadness to some degree. It's a it's a really sweet emo little little black and white Persian American <laughs> vampire movie. It's <laughs> one of the Strangest things I've ever seen. It's pretty it's, great. It's
1: funny you mentioned Jarmusch because it—it it sounds like his first uh, feature, *Stranger Than Paradise*, which was black and white, and this—this this woman, young woman, comes from Eastern Europe just so sort of pops up on the doorstep of her of her cousin in New York City p- with her cassette deck playing uh, Screamin' Jay Hawkins over and over again. Uh, now just make her a vampire and you've got uh, you've got this
0: film. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely saw the connection there. Now, I, I should speak of Jarmusch. Uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, I think a lot of people know about this film. It came out last year and it was my favorite Jarmusch film in probably 20 years. I absolutely loved it. One of my favorite films of the year. Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston play a couple who are married and very much in love but for some reason and live very far apart. One in Detroit in a shambling old house. That's the Hillston character, Adam, but uh, Eve play, lives in North Africa. But they, you know, they're tech savvy and they they talk regularly. And and uh, Adam's very depressed, so Eve comes to travels to see him in Detroit. And then she makes sure she schedules all the flights to happen at night. <laughs> uh, and it's, I wonder why. I wonder why. Yeah. And it's a really wonderful, charming, uh, melancholy comedy. I would say, and and it, it imagines vampirism as sort of heroin chic, like like aging '70s rock stars who uh, who live pretty interesting lives still, and and uh, but have this this thirst that they can't quite uh, reconcile.
1: Yeah, it's funny the Hiddleston character. It, it, it's almost like Jim Jarmusch just sat down and was like, "What if what if Jack White was a vampire?" <laughs> and then yeah. it just kind of went from there because he's basically this reclusive, enigmatic uh, rock musician who. You know, at people, you know, he puts out this music on the sly almost and people are like trying to collect it and... uh you know, and, and find out about where he lives and that kind oh. of thing. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's not generally known that he's a vampire, but, but, uh, you know, the, that aspect of it just made me think, oh, I think he's been taking some notes <laughs> and, yes. and, and crafting this character. And of course, this, they use the city of Detroit so well. It's, they do. It's, you know, the, the urban decay of the, of the, the background that the, a lot of this film plays out against is so, so effective. Actually, it's kind of the same background as, uh, you know it follows a recent uh, horror mm-hmm. hit that was uh,
0: popular with a, a lot of people who know a thing or two about good horror movies so yeah absolutely and uh, jack white's even uh, even name checked in the That's film right, at yes. one point but yeah it's a, it's a film with a lot of different tastes uh, and colors and moments uh, certainly love john hurt uh, in uh, showing up in the film uh, in the africa portion and, uh, and and yeah and the musical uh, elements are are wonderful and just the sense of like these people being stopped in time and having a very, uh, sort of, uh, poor view of humanity over this time and how humanity is destroying itself with the, uh, destruction of, of, uh, of the environment and the poisoning of the water. Uh, and, you know, they're very in tune with all of that. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. It has some links to a film. Another film we'll talk about later, the hunger, uh, that's kind of, um, elegant, decadent vampire couple. And, and, uh, I don't know if that was an inspiration it's it's certainly a glossier film than something you'd expect from Jim Jarmusch but but, you know there's certainly overtones the the mixture of in that case it was sort of gothic rock because you've got Bauhaus playing over the opening credits in The Hunger you know and and here you've got uh, you know some more uh, sort of modern alternative rock Um, odd odd Side note, I remember right before the film came out, it just wrapped, but it hadn't been released yet. And I got to see Jim Jarmish's band Squirrel. Oh, yes. S-Q-U-R-R-L. I think uh-huh. there's no, uh-huh. I, the U is the only vowel in there. Um, and uh, they played at ATP uh, in Iceland I went, so I got to see them play awesome it was great and you know it's so funny I've got all these pictures that there were no lights it was just this kind of weird blue backlighting or whatever and a lot of fake smoke <laughs> and uh, I tried to take some pictures but it was kind of futile because you're just seeing silhouettes but you couldn't mistake Jim Jarmus's silhouette you know the 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 gray pompadour and everything yeah, like yeah that. so I kept a few of those photos because it's obviously him right. on guitar but the great thing about it was that Tilda Swinton introduced them she came out on stage oh amazing and read some Icelandic poem <laughs> before the band went on and that's you know awesome. and and uh, and then later she was out, like talking to fans like a normal person cool it was pretty, pretty amazing that's great uh, and I, I I'd read a little bit about the film and I don't know if she was having a relationship with Hiddleston at the time or or something like that there's some of that talk uh-huh. uh, he wasn't there unfortunately right. I was hoping to spot him maybe but but um, you know where, where do you see Loki in Iceland of course <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> that would be handy yeah. but
1: you know when I heard that that was the film they were making I got very excited and, and it certainly lived up to all my advanced hopes
0: for sure for sure uh, I, I really like the music in the film uh, squirrel is great they create this great sound wash of, of sort of discordant guitars and, and it really works for the mood of the film there's there's Wanda Jackson and s- lots of really great stuff in their bluesy stuff in there as well um, you know so so another reason to see the film is is for the sound of it. Um, I also wanted to mention, speaking of the International Vampire film, uh, that is just also recently only available or ha- has come available online or on DVD is what we do in the shadows, which is a movie I saw at the Outlier Film Festival, and then I was shocked to see that it actually got a small release in th- in regular cinemas earlier this year. Yeah,
1: I think it played for like a week, maybe two.
0: Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and and treat. it's it's written and directed and starring two two buddies, I guess, uh, Jermaine Clem- Clement Clement from uh, uh, which we will we, you remember from the HBO series that he did Flight of the Conchords, uh, and uh, and I'm I'm certain. And I apologize for butchering uh, this gentleman's name. Taika Waititi, I believe, is maybe the right pronunciation. Uh, anyway, these guys uh, are it's a story of vampires living together in suburban uh, New Zealand, I think in Wellington. And uh, a lot of it, I believe, is improvised. Certainly the humor of these various vampires at different ages dealing with the social <laughs> <laughs> problems. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of humor uh, out of the fact that they have to live together and deal with their with their various conditions.
1: Yeah, it's it's very funny and very knowing. It's, you know, a Spinal Tap-style mockumentary about modern-day vampires, but I like the fact that it addresses all the different types of vampires, only vaguely hinting at the movies we're all pretty familiar with. So, you know, there would be a, more of a Nosferatu-style vampire who's kind of decrepit and creepy-looking. Yeah, so also yeah. sort of like... Uh, was it the master on Buffy, the vampire style? Yes, oh, that's was, right. There was an older vampire. is was very much a Nosferatu, rat-like, you know, creepy, pallid, subterranean kind of creature. <laughs> yeah, um, with the long fingernails. Exactly, yeah. always yeah, yeah. yeah. was the long fingernails and the, the rat teeth. But, um, you know, so, so it, it addresses all the different types of vampires. And then, it, you know, brings in some some werewolves partway through the film just to, you know, bring it into the whole monster world. And they're, they're a delight with, of course, you know, uh, with... Uh, Reese uh, Darby from also from Flight of the Uh Conchords plays one of the lead werewolves and you know not knowing that he was in it it was a real treat for me when he suddenly shows up yeah yeah they're like uh,
0: they're like um, sort of a this this uh, bunch of bros who happen to be you know wandering werewolves and and uh, they've got their own uh, they've got their own rules about about language and <laughs> I don't want I know, probably it, the most quotable line in the film yeah and... that's right I don't want to say too much because the joy of the film is discovering these these off the cuff remarks uh, that uh, that happen throughout uh, yeah it's 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 a charming one and I think actually will. Please more people in at home watching it than maybe they would in the cinema because it has it has that vibe.
1: Yeah, it's, it's if you laugh too loud, you'll miss stuff. But the nice thing about this film is that it touches on all, most of the famous sort of vampire bits of lore and mythology. You know about you know not being able to see yourself in the mirror and and garlic and you know like all all these things. They kind of touch on them in a humorous way, and it's really well thought out. And um, I, I'm sure even though a lot of the stuff is improvised, they had kind of a a checklist of all the stuff they needed to do, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that the older, more elegant vampires have to contend with these kind of young club hopping vampires who have no regard for tradition. <laughs> That's and, right. You know what? You know what kind of victim you should go after, and all mm-hmm. that, all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's it, it's it's fun to think of these sort of conservative vampires versus
0: the more bro dude type yeah vampires. absolutely uh, the fraternity the uh, the fraternity werewolves exactly yeah. so
1: so you know it, it's it's great if you're a fan of these films you don't have to know every vampire film ever made to enjoy it but the the more you know the
0: the richer it gets so speaking of of the things you know do you want to talk a little bit about hammer horror and and the 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 vampire movies that they did
1: yeah i've sort of been uh, Boning up a little bit on on the Hammer horror vampire movies. Of course, most of the the great ones feature Christopher Lee, of course, who uh, kind of redefined the role of Dracula uh, when when they. Uh made their first Dracula film in the late 50s in in stunning, stunning color and and with this really rich atmosphere and set design. It was the mark of the Hammer films. Of course, they're actually made on these really tight budgets. They look really great for the the budgets they were made on because they could use the same, some of the same sets and locations and costumes and they had all that stuff in store so they could just return to it um, again and again and just, film things from a slightly different angle and and so on. So they made such great use of uh, the resources at hand. It, it makes for a really rich legacy of, for the most part, horror films, but also some great science fiction films and, and uh, some straight-up Hitchcockian suspense films as well that came out uh, during their reign from, um, uh, you know, you think from like the mid-50s until the, the early 70s. Although the the, the the studio has sort of longer a longer history than that, but that's kind of the heyday of, of this period. And... Um, they reimagined uh, the vampire, specifically Dracula It's this more kind of dynamic creature. I mean, you think of Bela Lugosi. He's not the kind of running and he's not an athletic vampire right, by any means. He's right. not a, you know, he's more of this kind of uh, luxuriating uh,
0: European. Playboy. Kind of play, pl- yeah, yeah, playboy aristocracy. Yeah, kind of no, thing. But that's right. Uh, if I imagine Dracula uh, from those periods and when I was a kid, yeah, he was like, he was very classy uh, noble, you know, descended from from kings, perhaps, or some yeah. sort of line in Transylvania. He may be in line for the throne, maybe thirtieth or fortieth in line, but still somewhere along the way. And uh, but also, you know, a little bit of a, of a, of a player.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's definitely, <laughs> but uh, you know, they they the, the kind of reduce the romantic aspect of it a little bit, and he gets a, he's a little. you know, he's he's a lot more handsome uh, with Christopher Lee playing him, but he's he's also. He's also a lot more menacing and there's a lot more violence involved in these mm-hmm. films than there had been up to this point to the point where there's like violence in the original Hammer uh, Dracula or Blood of Dracula that uh, that was only seen in the Japanese prints and Wow. they've only recently been able to re reincorporate that footage you know for the most recent Blu-ray they've been able to present it in a more intact uh, form but it's 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 uh, it's fun to watch that series grow uh, in expli explicitness over the course of the years there were there were several with christopher lee and some that didn't have him like uh bride of dracula brides of dracula he they he didn't uh i guess he wanted more money right. <laughs> at that point so uh-huh. they they opted for uh for a different cast and um uh they had peter cushing on hand of course uh who's usually there to play van helsing and you know fight uh dracula back into his tomb uh-huh. as it were but um You know, gradually the films get more explicit in terms of sex and violence over the course of the years. They try harder and harder to please their audience. But some of the most interesting ones of the Hammer series uh, are the ones that aren't necessarily Dracula films at all. In fact, uh, uh, I watched one recently, uh, Vampire Circus, which um, brought in a non-Hammer writer and a non-Hammer director to film this story about, um, a, a village that, uh, got rid of its, uh, its reigning vampire who is cursing everybody in the town and, uh, only did they get struck down by plague and, uh, he's put a curse on their children and it's, you know, just a lot happens <laughs> A lot mm-hmm. stuffed into this thing. And it's, it's one, it's, it wasn't terribly well known amongst the other horror film, Hammer horror films, probably because it didn't have Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee in it. But it was also the first Hammer horror film to finally surface on Blu-ray, um, you know, which was highly anticipated because the visual look of these films was so sumptuous and so rich you know, they were designed to be seen in the best uh, mode possible. I've seen one hammer horror film, uh, countess Dracula in 35 millimeter, and it was stunning. It was a gorgeous print. Well, Didn't you
0: didn't you say they, they used a lot of the same locations from film to film and a lot of the same costumes.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they knew how to film it and they could get a good look for, for very little money. Um, you know, and vampire circus is, is a little different and it's on it's out on disc and I, I hope it's available through some other means, but, uh, you know it's got then it brings in this circus after we've dealt with the vampire and the plague uh in comes this circus of gypsies to entrance the the townspeople and their children but really it turns out that it's run by the cousin of the vampire that got off in the opening sequence, and she's there to to fulfill his desire to put this curse on the on the village and uh so the, the half of the performer is this weird mix of yeah of uh of Circus Soleil and Circus Satan <laughs> basically uh-huh. um and there's a lot of sex and a lot of nudity and it it's just it's really kind of shocking for its time and it's uh also uh features uh David Prouse who would play uh Darth Vader minus right. you know they'd have uh you'd have James Earl Jones voice of course but uh, he was the guy in the Darth Vader suit he shows up in a, in a, as a as a mute strongman uh-huh. here and he gets to Sort of be Apparently, comically menacing. He, he never speaks
0: in any of his. Uh, his yeah, because
1: he does. I don't think he has any lines in Clockwork Orange either. He plays <laughs> kind of a a bodybuilding boyfriend of uh, of this guy who's been terrorized by the the gang in Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah, but uh, you know it, it's kind of a revelation to watch this film and and see like how far Hammer had come by that time. And there's actually some like full frontal nudity, which I don't think was supposed to happen. I think it was an accident, but they left it in anyway. <laughs> uh huh. Um, you know, so so things were kind of progressing at the studio. Unfortunately, as it's fortunes were declining because the uh the american studios were getting back into into genre films in a big way into the late 60s and early 70s with with some of those charlton heston films and so on um but uh you know they're, they're darkly comic they have great acting in them because you know, all these british actors they they go from doing shakespearean stuff at night to going to the hammer studios to play these characters by day or what have you and uh you know i and i along with those i recognize uh I recommend the, what's called the Karnstein trilogy, um, which is inspired by that novel I mentioned earlier, Camille. Okay. The, the lesbian vampire thriller. Well, hammer took the ball and ran with it. They actually got three films out of it. Uh, the vampire lovers lust for a vampire and twins of evil. Um, and again, they're all, you know, kind of the, the show, the studio in it's waning days, sort of using more violence and, and, uh, explicit sex, uh, or, you know, sort of explicitly sexual content. Um, to kind of make up for declining revenue i guess and attract that broader audience but but they the really are a treat every one of those films has something to recommend it in terms of the humor and 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 the setting and and just the sheer britishness of it
0: all so there were a bunch of vampire movies, weirdly, I don't know if it was a coincidence or what, they came out in 1979, uh, including, well, George Hamilton's Love at First Bite, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I did not revisit, uh, but I know it to be a very serious disco era Dracula. Uh, there is another Dracula that I would recommend to people, and it was the first one I saw when I was a kid, and that's John Badham's Dracula, uh, written by W.D. Richter, who did also did the 78 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and uh this is very much the Belagosi tradition of of uh the the european noble version of of dracula frank langella is wonderful, kind of a career defining role for him. Until recently, he's qu- he's had a bit of a resurgence, I would say, in the last five or ten years, playing a lot of great roles. You know, he was uh, Frost Nixon, um, and uh, I've been watching him more recently in The Americans. He's a, he's a really great character actor. But uh, but in '79, he was tall, dark, and handsome, and he had this he did this weird thing with his eyes where he would like shake in the close-ups. He would like shake his eyes, and it's <laughs> genuinely creepy. It's a physical thing that I've never seen him do in other films, but in that film. Uh, I can't help but look at his eyes and it's pretty awesome. Uh, I just
1: had a vision of him in the big snit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, he's shaking your eyes here. <laughs> shaking your eyes there. There you go. Um, Frank Langella,
1: join us. <laughs> Shake a rock and roll. Sorry.
0: sorry um, that no, no, no. That's but, all right. Little little tangents. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it seems like when
1: this film came out, because I remember the can- the ad campaigns for this movie at the time, the, the, the vampire thing had kind of fallen by the wayside. That After that hammer cycle kind of petered out, it did kind of... Uh, became a law of diminishing returns with those films. Uh, feature films about vampires were pretty few and far between in, in a big way. There's some some exploitation films and there's even, a, I think, a terrible porno film, Dracula Sucks, I think it was mm-hmm. called, or something like that, with John Holmes or something like that. So, uh, you know, but uh, for the most part, uh, I, I think they weren't seen as scary anymore. There were real-life horrors on the news every night from Vietnam or, right. or what have you. So, so the, you know, that kind of, Literary old school monster uh, w- w- wouldn't cut it anymore uh, for, for movie audiences, um, but uh, but I think what brought this film around uh, this uh, the the John Badham Dracula I think there had been a successful stage revival
0: ah, okay. of the play right
1: um, and in fact uh, the Bellegosi uh, version from the early 30s that was based that was actually inspired by a play based on the novel written by a guy named John Balderston uh, which. You know, eliminated a lot of great stuff from the book and added a lot more romantic stuff to it. And I think, uh, I think that same play kind of is the launching pad for this version, but the Richter screenplay, I think, a, a little more wisely, uh, you know, tries to get back into gothic horror uh-huh. mode while still maintain, maintaining a certain romantic element, obviously, by having, you know, uh, <laughs> having, um, its star up here in, a, in, in you know in a
0: white puffy shirt that's unbuttoned down to right. his chest and that kind of thing so. yes the disco <laughs> exactly. parts of it yeah and then the great uh, Lawrence Livier playing Van Helsing and Donald Pleasence is also in this so you got some really quality British actors you know filling out chewing the scenery uh, and, and the great Kate Nelligan as Lucy Seward uh, it's I, I watched it uh, not long ago and I found it uh, still had a genuine creep to it uh, that you really and, and it's faithful enough I think to to the story to to deliver. I, I don't I don't think I don't think those disco elements ruin it at all. I think it's actually it's it's got a style and a great quality to it. Yeah, I think it uh, it kind of
1: it had a look that didn't wear very well on video. I remember I watched this on Laserdisc, and it was just there's a lot of smoke and fog and it just didn't translate. It just looked kind of terrible. And uh-huh. there is a new and a very cheap Blu-ray of this that's out there. I think you can find it for like 10 bucks or so. Okay. And it's worth picking up because it does restore proper cinematic look to it. And I don't, while I agree, it's not very horrific. I don't, I don't think that, you know, anyone who goes to this movie looking for scares is probably going to be disappointed. And maybe that's why a lot of people kind of look down on this film. But, you know, in terms of telling the story and, and just having, like you say, it's such great performances. Um, and telling something that gets back to the the Bram Stoker novel, um, as well as the, the play origins, I think it does all that stuff pretty well. Yeah. And Baddams a pretty sure hand behind the camera. Yes. I, we're, we're not going to talk about the Coppola version of Dracula, which you know claimed to be. Bram Stoker's Dracula when it really really wasn't uh you know you know Bram Stoker's probably sp- spinning in his grave when they announced the casting of of that particular film aside from 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 Gary Oldman but um
0: what do you don't think Keanu Reeves was <laughs> I, uh you know he, he was the period actor of his
1: generation That's true that's so true he just, just really captures that era so well uh, <laughs> but you know cer- certainly that was a fun one to watch in the theater but it it has a lot of uh downsides as
0: well yeah I, I think a lot of people know that one which is part of the reason why we won't get into it too much i actually have a really soft spot in my heart for mr reeves but uh but yeah it's kind of odd to see him and winona Ryder, who seems so contemporary in the in the corsets and yeah. the uh the the, the pantaloons um <laughs> uh, respectively i guess but sadie um, frost on the other hand yeah. <laughs> anyway moving, um, along. moving along you know you mentioned some of the uh uh the sort of low budget uh, exploitation films uh vampire films do you want to say anything about scream blackula scream oh
1: that's right yes well yeah probably one of the the bright spots for uh for vampire movies in the uh, 70s was the, the the blackula series there's only two films in the series but it's it's pretty iconic uh you know the 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 black action films were doing so well' it's like well you know we've got all these you know kind of drug dealers and and, and pimps and all this kind of stuff on the screen why not uh, why not uh, try a, a vampire and uh, the so there's there's Blackula with uh, William Marshall, who plays the role in both films as, a, as an African count or prince who is uh, vampirized by the original Dracula uh, and, uh, you know, comes to America and, you know, tries to fight for his people and, uh, you know, combat injustice and that sort of thing. And they're a lot of fun. Scream Blackula Scream has a lot of dead spots, you know, even though Pam Greer is in it and it has an amazing poster, which I've got a copy of at home. But it's... Uh, but. You know, aside from a few moments in the film, there's, there's a lot of uh, dry space. But, it, you know, it, you can watch the first one and, and kind of enjoy it. The You know, the the Hughes Corporation who had a hit with Rock the Boat, they show up and do some numbers and stuff like that. So so it, at least it keeps moving. The, the second one is, is, is a bit more leaden and doesn't have as much on the ball. And, that, and then it's got these vampires that are more like zombies. It's like, well, is this a zombie movie or a vampire movie? But um, but William Marshall is always great. Like, yeah, he was he's a great voice. Shakespearean-trained actor. He was also... Uh, in in the the original Star Trek, he was the computer expert who creates the artificial intelligent comu- uh, intelligence computer. The one where, you know, Kirk has to like give it some questions that make it circus fry up. Okay, like, yeah. What, I what know is that. love? And, you know, <laughs> and, and then the thing the thing seizes up. So and so you know he just had that wonderful voice. And of course he went on to be the king of cartoons on Pee Wee's Playhouse, basically playing Blackula on Pee Wee's Playhouse. There you go. Only with cartoons instead of fangs.
0: Uh, so so those are a lot of fun. I notice a lot of the the, the the his antagonists are always cops in these movies. Yeah, well, it's it's a lot of police you know uniforms. sticking
1: it to the man. That yeah. was what those yeah. films were all about. And and again, there's a new a great new Blu-ray, and it's pretty cheap uh, of uh, of the two Blockula films, so you can see them in all their. High definition glory, mm. and and really, uh, mostly you just notice how bad the makeup is, but uh, <laughs> but it, you know it's it, it's fun to watch them uh, in their premium form.
0: Um. I we should say uh, a couple things about Nosferatu the Vampire the 1979 version. Uh, speaking of films from 79, this is the Werner Herzog uh, remake uh, of the the Murnau film, I guess you could say. He gets his buddy Klaus Kinski to star as uh, Count Dracula, pretty much aping Max Schreck, and uh, also starring Bruno Ganz and Isabella Johnny. Uh, and this is a really actually pretty cool version of the vampire story. Now now. Uh, I understand that uh, when the when Nosferatu was made in 1922, Dracula was still not in the public domain, so yeah. they had to change all the names, even though it was basically the same story, right? <laughs> yeah, in in the
1: original uh, Nosferatu, the silent version, they tried to do an end run around copyright by changing all the names of the characters. But it was, if you watch it, it's quite clearly the same characters. Um, and, uh, you know, instead he's Count Orlock instead of Count Dracula, for example. And I forget what Renfield is called, but there's a truly loopy Renfield in, in the silent and uh, the, the Herzog film. Um, and then uh, I think what happened is maybe some distributors of the film changed the names back to the Dracula characters because it's just a matter of writing new title cards. And uh, the Stoker, the Bram Stoker's estate, he was dead by this point, but I think his widow was still around and she uh, didn't uh, didn't take a fancy to that she was she successfully sued them and uh, all prints were ordered to be destroyed um, you know it was one of those films that for a long time you couldn't see it there were just lots of great photos of hmm. this guy named Max Shrek. Which is just germ- Trek is just the German word for fear, so c- you know clearly not his real name, uh, but uh, you know he was he, he basically uh, he, this is the only surviving film that he's in. Uh, I think there's only one non Nosferatu photo of the guy that's out there in some theatrical troupe. Um, otherwise, he's a complete mystery, which led to the making of the film uh, Shadow, Shadow of the, Vamp- of the Vampire, Vampire. Sure, yeah, which yeah. Uh, fictionalized the making of the film with uh, Willem Dafoe, and. Um, on John Malkovich. On John Malkovich. Yeah, sure. As uh, as Murnau, but um, the uh, so so the film was kind of locked up, put away. Uh, prints were burned, seized, all that kind of thing. But uh, luckily, a, a full print survived in Russia, and then uh, that you know that was eventually copied and made available and circulated around. So so people were able to see the film, and it's it's such a striking film. There's so, some amazing visuals, and so the the Herzog version is fairly faithful to the way the Dracula story plays out in. The Murnau silent version, but because Dracula at this point is in the public domain, he reverts all the names back to the characters other than the novel. Right, It's clearly following the novel. They shave it down, like his his brides, you know, for maybe for budgetary reasons. It it looks low budget, but still great, just because they had some great authentic locations and kind of kept costumes and extras and things to to a minimum. Um, so it, it still looks great, um, but uh, it's it's not. Entirely the Dracula that we we've all come to know. So I guess by making it Nosferatu, you can take some liberties with the storyline.
0: Yeah, Herzog. Uh, he interestingly I, I, he he shot both a German and English language version. So he would shoot uh, one take in German and then have his actor speak in English in a, another take, so that he could you know possibly uh, have it uh, released in English territories, which makes a certain amount of sense. But that's that but, uh, some some Blu-rays offers both, I guess, which is which is cool. Um I, I like that the vampire is very much a shriveled, you know, hideous awful very much in the Shrek mode but he's also quite piteous like he he talks about being unable to die and suffering as a result of of this you know centuries passing and not changing uh, I think that's kind of a, a maybe at the time a fairly unique approach to the uh, to the character and I also really I've always liked Isabella Johnny she sort of plays it broad like a like in the silence you know with the makeup with the white makeup and the huge eyes and and fainting from time to time but she also has a fair amount of agency in the end when uh um, when her her lover, played by Bruno Gans is uh, you know gone insane by the bite of the vampire, she she finds a way to you know she it's her her efforts to help destroy the monster that's that's torturing the village and killing so many people and 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 filling the streets with rats. There are more <laughs> rats than if you are a yeah. r- if a rat oh problem gosh. with this. If you have a rat problem. Probably not a good movie to watch because there are so many rats in this film.
1: Yeah, I I guess the thing I thought uh, that I'd forgotten about this film was that it's, you know, Johnny is kind of the take charge character in this film and that traditionally it's Jonathan Harker who incidentally uh, in the Lugosi film was played by a man from Halifax, uh, David... um Oh no, I forgot his name. Uh David Manners. Uh born in Halifax. His dad was the headmaster of Tower Road School.
0: Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. And
1: then uh he his family moved to the States and he became an actor and so on. But he was born and bred in Halifax and uh-huh. his house is on Tower Road, still there. I think it's apartments now. But yeah, he he was he was kind of the like Keanu Reeves of his day. He was kind of like <laughs> a, a solid Fairly stiff actor who's in the original Dracula. He's he plays the the harker character there. He's in the Mummy with Boris Karloff. Okay, he's uh he has a pretty remarkable filmography. Um, and then one day he just kind of chucked it. He got tired of Hollywood. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think his career hit the skids necessarily. His, uh, I suspect maybe his personal lifestyle may have. Uh, may have interfered with him becoming a bigger star but um, he went back to the stage he wrote a novel about the Annapolis Valley um, did all this stuff so but uh, yeah that's the Halifax connection to Dracula there you go and uh, but uh, yeah Harker is and Van Helsing are traditionally the heroes you know right, the, sure. the ones who come to the rescue and take care of staking Dracula and all that but on this version of the story they're, uh, Van Helsing and, and you barely even know he's there in the Herzog version he's so ineffectual and he's just this weak old man with bad bad advice and yeah. doesn't know what's going on in any it, part it,
0: Gans plays and, Harker, and he yeah he yeah, gets, he's, gets knocked out about halfway through.
1: Yeah, he has to sit in the corner blocked in by a bunch of... Uh, Communion wafers. <laughs> it's uh, you know he's 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 a kind of a pathetic figure, and it's a, a Janny who kind of saves the day, which I think is a great uh, reversal of all the familiar versions of the story we've seen up to that point.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and and you know uh, credit Herzog with his with some of his gallows humor and strange. There's a scene with a boy playing a violin that's so <laughs> peculiar outside of of uh, of the castle, the vampire's castle. That's uh, that's very funny and very weird. Uh, there's a lot, there's actually, and there are other instances where there's some funny stuff going on that you just sort of have to be in the right frame of mind to appreciate. In 1983, Tony Scott gave us the hunger, which I think for a lot of people, uh, a lot of people love that movie. And I understand the love. (laughs) I, I really appreciate the look and the feel of the film, but I also find it a bit, is slow and draggy. Uh that said, it's hard to argue against this cast. Uh David Bowie Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon, and uh, yeah, and it's it's a it's a vampire story in the age of MTV with with this, with a with a great uh, spectacular opening sec- sequence involving Bauhaus that, uh, is hard to is really needs to be seen to be believed. It's it's pretty wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's not hard to tell that Tony Scott's background is in commercials. Yeah, <laughs> Every, everything in this, you know, and it's the same with his brother Ridley, I suppose. But but. Um, uh, Ridley had a little more substance in his style. Tony, not so much, but he made some great films. Yeah, uh, for sure, and Top Gun. But um, <laughs> this—I uh, have such a strong memory of watching this for the first time. I think it was at like a, a goth and punk kid slumber party. Uh-huh. Uh huh and uh geez were you a goth kid uh, no still? i was a punk kid okay but you know as you know we all the goths and the punks in those days it was a fine line yeah sure um you know we all had a band together right to fight the jocks yeah yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> the, uh I, I remember staying up all night and watching a bunch of movies and i think it played on like the one of the canadian pay channels i think we were all like had to stay up until it came on the movie channel or whatever it was called mm-hmm. at that time. Or First Choice, actually, I think it was. There the, you go. The name of so we got to watch it uh, on a pay channel, so it would be uncut. We had, like, one friend who had pay TV, so we'd all go... They had the discrambler. So we'd go over <laughs> to his house to watch to watch this thing. And it was... You know, for a bunch of teenage boys and girls, this film was, was just hit all the right
0: buttons. Well, the the uh, same sex uh, lesbian love thing between Deneuve and Sarandon is legendary. It's part of the reason people, I think, watch the film <laughs> even even now.
1: Yeah, I haven't returned to it in a long time, and uh, but you know, I, I feel like a lot of that stuff is already imprinted on my brain. And there's you know, a lot. There's poor light, David Bowie getting shut in
0: the attic. And all there's that a kind of light, stuff. light. Th- Here's my my l- most lasting memory of it, aside from the things I've mentioned. It's is Light Through Sheer Curtains into rooms like that's really what it is like s- shafts of sunlight through it- it's such a and it's all it's really is it- so influential on 80s movies in general is that that kind of look you know and, uh, and uh, Venetian blinds of course yeah and 80s music videos yeah there you go <laughs> uh, you know I-, I should I really should mention Life Force which I found as a result of, of knowing we'd be talking about vampire movies uh, I'd never seen it before but I went and uh, and watched it this is from 1985 uh, directed by Tobe Toby Toby Hooper, yeah, uh, who of course people would probably know as the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Though Spielberg probably had his heavy <laughs> hand on Poltergeist. Yeah, how
1: much directing he did of Poltergeist is hard to say. But.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and this is a film. Uh, Life Force is based on a novel by Colin Wilson, who is the creator of Max Headroom, and uh, the the novel is called Space Vampires. So that's what the connection <laughs> is to this this show. Uh the film was uh came from Canon, uh those those crazy Golan Globus, those those wonderful filmmakers of the eighties. And uh and they wanted a global global blockbuster, so they changed even though the film was originally shot and and uh, originally titled Space Vampires, they changed it figuring that Life Force had a had a more international quality It is a vibe. better title. It's than a better Space title Vampires. for sure. Um, it's co written by Dan O'Bannon, uh, who was the uh, writer of Alien and though I gather he came on the project after many many drafts that had already been written so I don't know how how much of his his work actually features in the film. It stars Steve Steve Railsback, Peter Firth, Frank Finlay and Patrick Stewart in a small role. It is uh, it is a very much a throwback. Uh, it's British science fiction, it's British. I wanted to mention it. it's very much an English vibe to it. Uh s- science fiction horror and a throwback to 50s monster movies where a lot of people, doctors and scientists comment on all the horror that they're seeing. Like there's many, <laughs> many scenes of men standing, looking at something and being freaked out by it. And in this case, it's uh, it's an alien alien woman who comes, she's sort of a succubus. She comes down to earth and she's, for the first act, she's naked. And uh, in full frontal nudity, wandering around, uh, you know. And, sucking the uh, life out of people. Uh, Matilda May, yeah, sucking the life out of people. And it is just quite, I mean, I, would say it's quite sexy and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, talk of erotica uh, <laughs> you know i mean it, but the the material is taken very seriously and very stone-faced uh but it's quite outrageous uh, and it is it is very much like the blob or one of those kinds of 50s you know, scare, scare fests. It is technically a vampire movie for sure, because these alien creatures, when they when they bite someone, then they die. They need to get uh, life force from other human beings in order to be revived. By the end of the movie, it's basically a zombie movie though, because so many people are infected and they're attacking everyone, and <laughs> there's got blood all over their faces. Yeah, like
1: Scream black to the screen, the, 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 zomb, the vamp, thin line between zombies and vampires. Yeah, that's right. The movie's kind of a mess. I, I it, the, it's out in I think there's an extended director's cut of it now that's out there i've seen both versions one doesn't necessarily make a whole lot much more sense than the other right (laughs) but it but it it is fun it does you know it it's outrageous in a way that you kind of wish more movies were today Um, you know it's over the top and it's it's got that great british cast so you know people are saying really stupid dialogue with a lot of authority and (laughs)
0: solemnity when you got patrick uh, stewart there that works so he screams for most of it that's true Um,
1: (laughs) you know and and it's Toby Hooper isn't afraid to go too too much over the top. If you ever see some of his other movies like *Eaten Alive*, they're they're pretty outrageous as well. Yeah, and *Spontaneous Combustion* those kind of films. Um, you know, I I don't know how in control he was of this production. It is you know, I think his his own personal story would be an interesting one to to delve into for sure. But 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 I do remember like being. Really entranced by the imagery that I saw in the ad campaigns when this came out, and especially by Matilda May. She's she's pretty gorgeous. She didn't have much yeah. of a career, from what I recall, but but she does make an impact here. I I would recommend the Mario Bava '60s film Planet of the Vampires if you want to see a really solid outer space, you know, vampire okay. kind of uh, analgam. And um, that just came out on Blu-ray recently, so uh, it, it's out there if you want to track it down. But um, you know, and a, and Mario Bava is known for his visuals, and and again, getting great results on a super low budget. This, uh, I think, had probably a bigger budget than your average Canon production. Yeah, I than, think it did. I think every dollar was I on hopes. the screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that high hopes. They had John Dykstra doing the special effects, who of course worked on Star Wars and a number of other films. So, so yeah, there were some. There's some aspects of it that look pretty, pretty high end, and then there's some stuff that is just total cheese. So you know, that there's lots of entertainment value for all of that. Uh, I just want to touch quickly on a couple of other or two or three other uh, vampire movies of the 80s. Uh, there's Vamp, uh, which is, I think, kind of hard to find, but is out there. This is a Chris Make piece uh, about a frat boy's going looking for adventure and vampire strippers, which uh, also stars D.D. Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer's less well-known <laughs> sister, and Grace Jones as the woman who in charge of all the vampire strippers. And it occurs to me that uh, vampire strippers... There, there's a sub-genre, sub vampire strippers, uh, when you go from dust till dawn, and there must be a, must be others. Well, I know
1: in uh, the Blackula films, they have some uh, some vampire hookers. So oh, there you go. You know, just a few steps away, I suppose. Uh, this actually is available on a double-featured disc. I don't know if it's Shout Factory, but one of the companies that put it out, uh, Vamp, along with Twice Bitten, a oh, right. vampire comedy with um, uh, with a, a young Jim Carrey, there you go. Is, is in it. And I, th- I think... Uh, uh, what's her name? Hutton. Uh, Lauren Hutton. <laughs> Lauren Hutton, I think, yeah. might be the vampire in that. Okay. So, you know, not a bad way to spend an evening with those two. Yeah, those two films.
0: Yeah, I'd also recommend uh, *Vampire's Kiss*. Uh, this is uh, Nicholas Cage, one of his weird '80s yuppie roles, uh, and Jennifer Beals as a vampire, uh, and it's it's uh, it's got some charm to it. Uh, this is more of a vampirism as an uh, STI kind of uh, uh, overview, you know. And uh, and I uh, and I, if you're a Nicholas Cage fan, it's worth seeking out. I would say that's from 1988, uh, and and of course. Uh, maybe what a lot of people think of as one of the great vampire films, Near Dark by Catherine Bigelow.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the flip side of The Hunger. The way The Hunger is glossy and glamorous and, and very chic, Near Dark is the complete opposite of that in so many ways.
0: Absolutely, it's kind of a uh, it's a it's kind of a, a misfit drama cross with a western, uh, all tied together with a vampire genre. It has a lot of great character actors, including Bill Paxton, Adrian Pasdar, Jenny Wright, and Lance Henriksen. And it's uh, it's one that I've gone back to a number of times over the years, and I've really enjoyed that vibe uh, at a time when you know uh, there were. I mean, there were a lot of uh, of low budget vampire movies. I mean, I, I don't think I want to talk about Lost Boys uh, particularly because <laughs> I'm not that huge a fan. But uh, Near Dark is absolutely worth checking out again. I guess I guess a couple that
1: I just want to quickly mention uh, from the from around the same period. One is, uh, I guess, the late '70s. Film, but uh, it's it's one that people didn't really discover until years later, thanks to some spotty distribution. That's uh, George Romero's Martin, um, which is the film he did after uh, Dawn of the Dead and uh, before uh, he went back to that series with Day of the Dead. But in between, he did this film called Martin about a young boy who thinks he 's a vampire or wants to be a vampire, okay. and, and you know he goes around cutting people with razor blades to drink their blood, so he 's not really a vampire, but he he kind of aspires to be one and he, it's, it's you know it 's more about mental illness than anything, but like i say you can you can graft the vampire story onto onto any number of uh of analogies for drug addiction or or sexual addiction or sexual disease or what have you. Um, you know, in this case, it, it's kind of a, a mental affliction that this kid has uh, that's, you know, you, you, and it's, you know, well used, using the Pittsburgh locations that Romero loves so much. Uh, and you really feel for this guy as he, you know, tries to find his identity and, and and suffers for it and others suffer around him. So I don't know how widely available it is these days. You think with the popularity of the, the Dead movies that Martin would be one of the ones that's out there. But, you uh, uh, it's worth tracking down if you could find it and uh, the other one of course is Fright Night
0: the original oh yeah right which where, they remade recently which
1: got remade and the remake was fine I yeah. actually I enjoyed the remake I, you know it's one of those things where I was like did this really need to be redone but I I, I thought it was quite well done and and, and I enjoyed it uh, more than I thought I would but uh, I like the original about a boy who's convinced his, his next door neighbor's a vampire and, and enlists a local horror movie host wonderfully played by Roddy McDowell who just totally makes the movie uh Uh, uh, helps him combat this uh, supposed vampire who uh, I don't want to give anything away
0: but (laughs) I think he might actually be a vampire vampire. that's the feeling Uh, I got too uh, (laughs) and and
1: McDowell uh, has so much fun with that it's definitely his his best post Planet of the Apes role
0: I think uh, and he has a lot of fun with it (music) So in this current uh, little more current day of uh, of vampire genre, uh it's funny thinking about vampire movies in May. It's just like everything's <laughs> so bright and sunny lately. Yeah. And I'm really been enjoyed... <laughs> You get the good stuff in May no one else is competing for it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but uh the uh yeah, all these great movies are available now. So, you know, if you wanted to, to start your own vampire film fest now is the time. There's plenty plenty to enjoy. I think of the recent batch. That the thing that kicked it off, uh, you know. I mean, we could you could talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Certainly, uh, uh, not so much the film version, but the TV version. I'm a I'm a big fan of. But uh, but when Let the Right One In came out in 2008, uh, the Swedish vampire flick. I mean, I, it's it's on a number of top ten lists of some of the best vampire movies around. It's directed by Thomas Alfredson, and it's about a 12 year old boy living in an apartment in Stockholm. And I I spent uh, Two Christmases in stockholm and uh, <laughs> and I really think they they did a great job with the production design of this film because uh, Stockholm in winter is very wintry it 's very um, you know, it's, it's dark, it gets light around 1030 in the morning, and the sun basically just hangs over the horizon for a few hours, and then goes down around 330. Oh. So the darkness is pervasive. And, uh, but it's, it's still a very warm and, uh, and sort of a cozy place. Uh, you know, but there there are actually I realize there are a lot of apartment buildings, I was staying out in the suburbs. And I saw it as I took the subway, uh, much of which was above ground from downtown Stockholm out to where I was staying, you know, you see, a lot of these apartment blocks and that's where this is takes place in one of these and uh oscar is a 12 year old boy living in one of these apartments and and he has a new neighbor a girl a 12 year old girl named eli who is or ellie who is in fact a vampire she has has been alive for a lot more years than just 12 and she has enthralled an adult to act as her caretaker and uh you know and basically try to source food for her and uh and they become friends and Oscar is starting to figure out that she's not a normal girl and it's a wonderful it's not really a coming of age story but it's kind of a chilling horror film uh Oscar is bullied at school and and uh his relationship with this girl changes those those plot points, uh, without saying too much, it certainly plays a role in his his eventual uh, freedom from the uh, the situation he finds himself in. And uh, but also, uh, you know, he he really connects in a very sweet way with this this little girl who's in fact a creature. And and the final. The final resolution of the, of the story between them is potentially quite sad and horrific, but also kind of warm and, and sweet. It, it's, it, it walks that line <laughs> in, in a way that not a lot of other movies do, including the remake which is called Let Me In. There's an American remake, and it's fine. I, I wouldn't say it's 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 uh, worth uh, not worthwhile. If you if you wanted to check it out, I I would say it's uh, it has a lot of nice qualities to it, but it really can't hold a candle to the original.
1: Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's better than it has any right to be. The remake. Uh, if you like Chloë Grace Moretz, who's been pretty great in things like Kick Ass and so on, um, you know that's an early role for her, and so it's mm-hmm. interesting to see her in that. And that was actually part of the new Hammer horror line where. They're they an attempt to revive the studio with a new line of horror movies, some of which have been pretty successful. That one, uh, uh, The Lady in Black, the first one, which is sure. great. Sure, yeah. The second one, which stinks. Uh, and a few other titles. Uh, I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep that up for because uh, not all the films have been great. Uh, the Quiet Ones kind of walked the line between being good and poor. The, the parts of it I liked and parts of it were kind of lame. But, um
0: they need to get into the real exploitation stuff again. Yeah, I think I think they really need to, <laughs> to, to cut loose.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, s- stop playing it safe. Um, but but uh, yeah, let the right one in. I it really struck a nerve for me. I really had strong feelings about this film, and especially the part uh, of course the so-called girl. Uh, she's got this kind of older male human. Mm-hmm. You think at first you think it's a guardian, but eventually you kind of realize that wait he probably you know he's he's human. He's not a vampire, but he kind of helps her out. With things that she can't do during the daytime uh-huh. and so on, that he was younger once, and he was probably in the situation that our current hero finds himself in yes, now. So, yes, that's uh, right. and I didn't quite. It took me a while to clue into that uh-huh. uh, aspect of things, but uh, you know, it's a rich and rewarding film that uh, that that also gets better with repeated viewing. I yeah, I so. I
0: agree. I agree. I also wanted to mention um, Byzantium, which I've talked about a little bit in the past in one of our podcasts talking about Irish films because we were talking about some of our favorite. Uh, Irish directors, and I was mentioning Neil Jordan. Byzantium is is if not his most recent film, one of them. It's from 2012, and uh, and it is a is a great gothic vampire picture, and it's about uh, a, a two women, Gemma Arterton and, and Charse Ronan. They play they play Clara and Eleanor, and it's a mother and daughter. Vampires who have been alive for two hundred years or so, and they're holed up in a British seaside town and trying to make uh, you know a go of it there, uh, dealing with some of the local characters. But uh, what actually makes give the film its uh, its impact is uh, is the flashbacks. You start to see what kind of struggles they've had to go through over two hundred years, living amongst men and not having any power, and the kind of power that vampirism gives them uh, is an analogous to a sort of feminist power. I believe, in a certain agency that allows them, uh, has allowed them the freedom that they enjoy now. And, uh, yeah, it's really, it's interesting stuff and uh, Byzantium is very much worth seeing and it didn't open in, in cinemas here in Nova Scotia, but, uh, but is, is on DVD and online. I, I definitely want to see it. I,
1: I've not seen Byzantium, but Neil Jordan did such wonders with, uh, werewolves in his, uh, much earlier, um, uh, oh. Company of remember, Wolves. Company of Wolves. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> the great Angela Lansbury turn is... As Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother. It just, it kind of t- teed up the Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf to the werewolves and kind of explored the whole myth and, and, and with a lot of humor too. And, and so I'm, I'd, I'd love to see this. It's yeah. he's always an interesting filmmaker.
0: Yeah, for sure. And he also directed uh, interview with the vampire, which of course was one of the, the biggest vampire movies of the last 30 years. Probably. I, uh, I haven't wanted to revisit that. I don't really feel one way or the other about, about it, but, uh, but I, I sort of felt like it should have been all, an entire European cast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Woefully miscast. Yeah. Uh, looks great. Yeah. Um, Who's the was it Claire Danes who was the little girl in that? I think, or was a noted actor who's quite a bit younger in that film? Yeah, right?
0: it wasn't Claire Danes, but uh, but yeah, Kirsten that's right. Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. That's See, right. I always get this yes. stuff in my head.
1: But um, and and and. Um, uh, Antonio uh, Antonio Banderas. Banderas. There we go. Yeah, he's, 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 he's great. probably the best thing in the film. Yes, as, yeah, I as, agree. As one of the vampires, but I agree. yeah, Brad but, and Tom. I mean, you know, uh, Tom
0: Tom gave it gave it his 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 the old college try. I think, uh, uh, and you know, good for him. And I appreciated that. I felt that Pitt was uh, Pitt just doesn't do uh, tortured well. Not, not, no. not in this, not in this uh, film, anyway. Uh, but, uh, but, I think you wanted to mention uh, uh, something before we go too. Well, this to is actually
1: it. a film that we mentioned back in our time travel uh, episode. Uh, the film is an Australian-made film, although I don't think it's actually like I think they try to go to great lengths to make it not look like Australia. Um, <laughs> it was shot in Sydney, I guess. Sh- yeah, called Daybreakers uh, yeah. from the, the the brothers who went on to make uh, Predestination, which is a pretty pretty fun time travel movie but in this the Spieg brothers yeah, yeah Sparag brothers and uh you know this is uh you know they clearly have a fondness for certain genres and and like taking it in new directions and and Daybreakers is set you know like 10 years in the future when a uh, a plague has basically turned most of humanity into vampires and and uh, so we have this dilemma where, where you know people have become vampires and they kind of don't mind it <laughs> they kind of like it being vampires <laughs> they've set up their society yeah, to, to, to support you know, this you, you get to be thin and sexy and super powered and you know, never age never age and yeah. just can't go out in the daytime um but uh ethan hawk plays a uh a doctor who's still human who has found at first he's looking for a way to give them something other than blood to drink like trying to get to the root of well you know why do they need to drink blood can they drink some sort of uh, high protein tomato juice or something like that. Anyways, but, but anyway, in the midst of that, uh, investigation, he actually finds a way to turn them back into humans, uh, which would be great if they wanted to turn back into humans, but that's not necessarily the case. So it's, it's an interesting twist on, on the whole vampire thing about, you know, whether, whether or not they actually, you know, want to be vampires or, or, uh, you know, would rather go back to being human and and have all those emotions and, and having a soul and all that kind of thing. And and so it's it's that dichotomy with some great action scenes. And Willem Dafoe uh, shows up as well as a
0: great bad guy. So, he, yeah, Willem Dafoe has one of the great lines in the film, which I won't repeat here, but it's truly, <laughs> truly one of, one of those ones that that made me. Uh, laugh out loud in the cinema (laughs) (laughs) but uh, definitely if you want a different modern take on vampires that's
1: one of the one of the recent films that really stands out That's our show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact us on Twitter at Lends Me Your
0: Ears, all one word, or search for Lends Me Your Ears on Facebook. We're on Stitcher, and you can rate and review us on iTunes, and if you do, we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Our email is Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Karsten Knox, and my Twitter is at Knox. And I'm Stephen Cook, and my Twitter is at C-H underscore
1: S-C-O-O-K-E. Thanks for tuning in and downloading this week. I hope you enjoyed enjoyed our look at high-stakes movies, some fun stuff to enjoy the next time the sun goes down. See you next time on Lends Me Your Ears. Lends Me Your
0: Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. Lends Me Your Ears is engineered by Luke Badio and is produced by Dave Anderson and Jason Michael McIsaac. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Discover more great shows on the Village Soundcast Network by going to villagesoundcast.com. We can also be found on Twitter at vsoundcast, and on Facebook by searching the Village Soundcast Network. Rate and review us on iTunes, and you'll get a shout-out on an upcoming show. Send feedback to Lends Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.